Welcome to Trending in Education. Mike Palmer here. I'm joined today by Melissa Turnbaugh, who is a partner at PBK doing architecture. She's national education and innovation leader there. Melissa, welcome to Trending in Education. Thank you for having me. I'm honored to be here. As I was mentioning when we were first catching up, I love talking to architects, but I haven't had one on in quite some time. I feel like it's been an underrepresented expertise that I'm happy to be bringing back to the show with you. We'll get into all that in a bit. We always like to start by getting to know you a little bit better. Can you share with us your origin story, how you got to this point in your professional journey? Sure. I love it. So I am an architect. I reside in Houston, Texas, and I have always been passionate about architecture. And I actually had passionate parents and teachers that steered me in that direction. So it seems a natural fit now that I am fortunate to design educational facilities. And I love educational architecture because of the variety of spaces that it provides with the evolution and what we're probably going to talk a lot about today. It is never a dull moment. So much is changing. So keeping up with that and understanding how research applies. And, you know, I don't know if there's any other like architectural profession that I can design, you know, natatoriums and auditoriums and you know, classrooms and culinary spaces. And, you know, as we talk about career and technical education, all under one roof. And right. so, you know, that's really exciting. I love the people, you know, school teachers and administrators are such hardworking and passionate people and bringing community together. I'm also a mom. So this is my personal and professional life. I have a third grader and a kindergartner. So I'm invested in them for what the education brings to them in their future. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, a lot of ways to connect the dots there. And you, did you say a natatorium? Yes. What is yes. that? Swimming, swimming pool. Ah, swimming pool. There you go. I like yes. the thinking. Yeah, I've, I've been hearing more of the push for swimming as a life skill, which is, is kind of related. Can you provide some high-level perspective on how an architect who is focused on education thinks about their job? How do you think about your job? As you mentioned, you're focused mainly on you know, K-12 and, and that side of the educational journey. How does an architect see education? How do you think about the problem space that is education? Sure. Right now is a really, you know, especially coming out of the pandemic, it's a really interesting time in education. And it's really important that we're getting kids engaged in school and equally getting teachers to stay and, you know, feel honored in this profession. And I think in the built environment, it's creating spaces that kids want to go, that they feel safe, physically and emotionally, that you're providing them with a variety of opportunities for education um, and resources for teachers. You know, are classrooms flexible? Do they have natural light? Is it improving their health? And so if I can do that in the built environment, you know, so much of that is really wonderful teachers and wonderful administrators. But if I can, in the built environment, support them so that they can be successful, we have a huge impact. I was reading a study, like 20% of the country is either in education or affiliated with education. That's a fifth of the country. So in no other opportunity do you have such an impact. And so making sure that the environment supports health and supports well-being and supports education, I think is a huge opportunity. And then it can, you know, reach the communities and the surrounding areas. So it's a huge obligation and opportunity. Yeah, and I always have been struck by how architects think about space. Because the rest of us, you know, maybe space is kind of like moonshot, SpaceX, whatever. And then it's also, you know, I need my space. But when you think about architects, you know, one of the themes that we've talked about, one of the trends that I've been pushing on the show is the idea of 
class outside and you you mentioned the the built environment the idea that some environments are built and human made you know there's also those you inherit and those you can build from scratch but outside of the built environment i know it's something you're also passionate about i'd love to hear a little more about how you think about the importance of being outside the importance of being in nature and how that relates to your job as an architect sure yeah very passionate about it you know kids spend coming out of the pandemic 44 hours a week in front of a device less than 10 minutes a day outside Hmm. and nature provides all of these wonderful things from physical fitness you know social connection a sense of peace well-being and so if we're depriving kids from that opportunity and we're putting them more and more in front of devices the harm that we're causing inadvertently right with good intentions and so I think we all realize coming out of the pandemic, the importance of spending time outside. And so giving our kids the opportunity to do that in the school day mm-hmm. and give it and not just not just, you know, elementary school. I think everyone understands elementary school kids need to go outside. This is for every kid. Yeah. Middle schoolers, gosh, all that they're going through emotionally and changing developmentally, they need to go outside. High schoolers need to go outside. And so giving them opportunity and access to go outside and it doesn't have to be complicated. Sometimes spaces have good intentions, but then it becomes a maintenance issue for a teacher. It doesn't have to be a garden. Gardens are wonderful, but it doesn't have to be something like that. Just that simple act of going outside, fresh air, mm-hmm. you know, movement, connection with one another, hugely beneficial. And so advocating for that within the school day, but then also arming teachers and administrators with how to use that space. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes we design wonderful spaces, but if the district doesn't know how to use them, mm-hmm. they were a good intention and then they are, you know, left vacant. And so understanding how in the school day, you know, they can go outside, whether that be lunch outside, whether it be, you know, pushing out of the classroom and collaborating and providing the kind of tools and resources that that can be. Yeah. Yeah. Because, you know, again, as a fellow parent of a kindergartner, you know, he's different when he's able to be outside. And I think he associates outside with play and fun and inside the building spaces as being more associated with like learning in a way that he doesn't enjoy as much. And, you know, you almost want to foster that sense of joy that's associated with learning. And also the idea that you can learn. We all are learning everywhere. We're not just learning in a formal classroom setting. I'd be curious, you know, you mentioned the pandemic. It does feel like there were a lot of awakenings around the importance of ventilation and how high your ceiling is and, you know, how much density there is inside. And then, you know, it feels as though we're in the midst of a bit of a backlash against that, where there's almost just a desire, like, let's just get out of that pandemic framing and get back to the way things were before. I'd love to hear from you a little bit about, you know, where we might be, new opportunities might be opening up to innovate on the other side of the shakeup of the pandemic. I'd love to hear a little more from you on that. Sure. Yeah, I don't think we should take that tragedy and not use it as an opportunity for adopting things that worked well, but also rethinking of things that might have not worked well. You know, I know a lot of students, some students did great with virtual learning. Mm -hmm. You know, they thrived. It was a good environment for them. A lot didn't. Mm -hmm. And so I don't think we should throw it all away and just go back to how it was. But I think we take advantages of opportunities just like this that we can virtually meet or leverage talent or resources elsewhere, but also understand the harm that came from it, again, of this interconnectedness and designing spaces outside, inside for this kind of interpersonal because people really need that. Mm -hmm. I think, yeah, indoor air quality 
finally got the attention it deserved during the pandemic because everyone was kind of coming out of fear. But clean air helps with students' focus and attention, teachers. And so keeping that, that's a good thing that came out of that awareness of the pandemic. And then also the opportunity of like virtual experiences. We're understanding now a little bit more with AI and with kind of augmented reality in these kind of immersive environments. You know, how can we use technology where it's beneficial to help foster learning and go on a field trip, you know, around the world and have exposure to things that you might not otherwise have opportunities to go visit. And so I think that is Another great, great thing that came out of the the pandemic is the kind of willingness and openness to do that. So, yeah, so, so, so many more again. And, and of course, outdoor learning, like the awareness to go outside, which is an, maybe an underutilized and probably most economical extension of the classroom. Right. Uh, so I think people are more willing to do that. Right. I remember we had Prakash Nar on, who is also an architect who was looking at K-12 a few years back, and he talked about the cells and bells model of even the building of the school itself and the idea that, you know, it's almost institutional, you know, as a parent of a young one, it does start to feel a little bit like the big house. It's got elements of like, you go in there, you sit in your room, you follow, you you know, there, there are elements of just uh, institutional order that are kind of built into the old school yes. K-12 model. How is that changing? How are new models being introduced? What are some counters perhaps to the traditional model that you can share with us? I think the traditional model was built being teacher-centric. Mm. And now the evolution is being more learner-centric. Mm-hmm. And I think with that, from the building block of a classroom, even the furniture in it's so much more readily manipulated to Mm. foster either the different learning styles of the students, the configuration of what you're learning. I think the need to extend beyond the classroom into collaboration spaces. I think Mm. understanding that one size does not fit all. Mm -hmm. And so providing students with different types of learning, with visual, you know, auditory, tactile, but also environments that support it. You know, as architects, we think about, you mentioned space. And so there are kids that thrive in big, open, collaborative spaces. And there are kids that that is overwhelming. Mm -hmm. I was just reading and talking to actually some medical teams talking about the huge rise in anxiety with students. And so understanding that, that if a kid is already coming to the school with anxiety and then you put them in an overwhelming environment, what is that doing to their learning? And Mm -hmm. so- providing smaller, more intimate spaces so that students that need that can thrive in that. So yeah. I think that the school is responding to that. And the good thing out of the pandemic is learning can happen anywhere. And so with that philosophy, the school now takes on new form. You know, the library is not just to go for certain periods to check out books and it, it's a casual place to collaborate, to hang out, mm-hmm. you know, it's probably better utilizing the school than it once was because now every space, corridors, you know, are used throughout the day for learning, not just passing periods or not just to, you know, as a mode of transport from A to B. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I I do like the shift to learner-centered because it does feel like there's a bit of command and control in the old model, which, Mm -hmm. you know, when you have 20, 30 kids in your class, there is an element of, you know... You know, let them jump out the window, but at the same time, there is more of an opening up that folks really have been advocating for a while. And that's why I was curious because, you know, it felt like there was an opportunity when things were shaken up through the pandemic 
to land in a better place. But then also, I think we tend to be a little bit lazy as humans, where we just want to go back, make it work. Don't make me think. Keep it simple. You mentioned some of my favorite acronyms lately. You know, AI, AR, and VR are all things that are certainly top of mind to me. And then it also does make me start thinking more futuristic, where, you know, a lot of the stuff we've seen with artificial intelligence this year has been ahead of schedule and perhaps has been opening up at least my thinking around how fast things might move and how much they could shift. Since you have a window into a lot of different things that are happening out there, you also mentioned how career and technical education is becoming more kind of baked into the responsibility of schools. I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective on emerging technology and where you think the cutting edge is around school architecture and, and any of the ideas you're kind of hearing out there. Sure. So I think where education is going is using AI. Parents are nervous, right, to have AI and tracking students and what does that mean? And But I think there's so much data already out there on that student. When do they come to school? And, and so there are groups that are harnessing some of that information and they're using it to help I guess, recommend things for students that they might not be aware of. Like, I see that you've checked out this book and you like this and you're really accelerating at math. Have you considered? Mm -hmm. And so using that, which, you know, I think a loving, you know, coach or parent or teacher was the AI of the past, right? right I see, right. you know, my, my parents were that for me. You know, mm -hmm. you love art and you love math, but now we can take tracking metrics and AI to help students in their achievement, which is a really exciting kind of concept and opportunity, not mm -hmm. as suggestive, not prescriptive, I should say. But I think the, with the built environment, again, these immersive environments are really interesting and in kind of what that means for a class space. This, this is like the holodeck, right? This, this is like basically you can teach in the holodeck. That's right. That's right. Yeah, exactly. But we're seeing, it, right, we're seeing that it's starting to come and people, again, it's, with any new adoption, it's how do you use the space? How do teachers teach getting out of the original model? But how can environments like that happen? I also think it's much more tailored learning, which is almost the, the space itself is just a vessel for teachers to have flexibility for tailorized learning so mm -hmm. that students can go at their own pace. They can achieve in spaces where they thrive and also work harder in spaces that might be a little bit more challenging. I think career and technical education is thriving with that. You know, we are designing career and technical education high schools, and it is giving students an opportunity to have real relevant skills. And it looks like industry and it looks like their future, whether you're going into a four-year degree, a two-year degree, or a profession, an industry, these high school environments are now mimicking that. But with that, it's change, right? Even like automotive. It's not the automotive lab of, you know, of the right. past. It is now hugely technology centric. Mm -hmm. It is, you know, focused on electric vehicles and what does that look like? And so I think as the world goes to a much more kind of technology, critical thinking demand, every skill, every industry is going to do that. We're designing a cosmetology space. And I think that has been probably pretty traditional for a lot of years. But they were saying, as we were meeting with industry leaders, that they are now training their students using kind of augmented reality and different things so that, you know, if they're putting on eyelashes, they're practicing virtually as opposed yeah. to putting it. So every industry is taking advantage of this. And so 
I think giving students in high school the relevant opportunities, technology, skill set is helping arm them for their future, which is really, really exciting. And as an architect, it's really interesting because the other piece with CTE and and career technical education is we are designing buildings that are going to last 50 plus years, but there are professions that probably don't yet exist Mm -hmm. that will be housed in this building. And so Mm -hmm. for us as architects, that's a really interesting challenge of how do we design spaces that are relevant for today, but future ready for tomorrow so that when that new industry emerges, it can seamlessly integrate into a building mm-hmm. that's, you know, been there for 30 to 40 years. Yeah, absolutely. I, I like the thinking too. Uh, it's augmented reality sounds like it makes a little more sense too, especially when I was thinking about in K-12, you know, you got to protect your neck. Shout out to Wu-Tang. You know, when you're covering up your eyes, you're a little more vulnerable. And then also if you're trying to do work in a, a shared setting, the layering of the visuals that you can get through augmented reality is really interesting. And then the other point that I was thinking about when you were talking is this does also connect to industry where I imagine there's probably a little more investment, internships, partnerships that are happening. And as an architect, I imagine you're navigating those different stakeholders to figure out how do we build this so that it's relevant to industry, but also preserve some of the integrity of the mission of K-12. You know, right now, I think it's a huge opportunity for these public-private partnerships. And I think there's some schools that are doing it so successfully where they're building the conduit for internships and mentorship. They're also building a funding source. You know, districts are always, even in the most affluent of areas, always looking for financial support and opportunities. And so this is a huge opportunity where there was a surgical robot that the hospital didn't use anymore because the newest and latest and greatest had come out. Perfectly good surgical robot. Well, they donated it to the school. So now they have a huge tool and resource, a million dollars that they would have never ported. So it's that funding structure conduit. But also then the hospital benefits because those students are learning how to operate, how to use these things. So it's a natural progression into their program, into Mm -hmm. their internships. And Mm -hmm. so, again, with a lot of these professions, they are now also because of the shortages, shortages of nurses, shortages of teachers, welding. They are investing in the high school because they want to train their future workforce and make sure that they're going into their company or their industry. And so they have a lot of skin in that game because they want to make sure that they are are sustaining their industry. Mm -hmm. And so I've seen a lot of mentorships, resources, even the private industry using these you know, spaces because they are so real world and so industry centric, they come in and they do nurse training in the spaces because they um, mimic the hospital so closely. So mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of great resources there that can be shared and everyone benefits. Everyone benefits. Yeah. And then one of the roles that will be hurtling into the future with the rest of us is teachers. We've touched on that before where When you're learner-centered, you don't stop being teacher-centered, I imagine. And a lot of the problems right now are around attracting, retaining, developing teacher talent really across the nation. I imagine as someone who's focused on designing education and innovation in these K-12 spaces, you probably spend a lot of time thinking about teachers. Thoughts on what that's like, what, you know, challenges, opportunities? Yeah. Teachers, I think, you know, I think we forget that this is their workplace sometimes. And so I think we need to treat 
it like their workplace. They need the benefits, the amenities. They need collaboration spaces for them. You know, they need places to retreat and to have, you know, connectedness with other teachers. And so designing that, designing it into, it isn't just the teacher's lounge where you go make a copy. It's now places for wellness for them because this is, again, their work. And they're they're dealing with a lot, right? These are students with learning loss and neurodiversities and all these things coming into their classroom that they're dealing with. And so providing spaces to support them. And then I think some of it, you know, environments that are good for students, even in small ways of natural light and, you know, creating a classroom, they are spending all day in that classroom, creating an environment where they want to go. Mm -hmm. So if they have clear, you know, good ventilation, if they have windows in their classroom, if they have a variety of spaces to take the students, their students are benefiting, they are benefiting. I think also leveraging technology, audio enhancement is a huge Mm. facet of that, of, you know, better understanding the struggles that they've had. And so, you know, how can that help students that maybe won't be able to hear, but also help them so that they're not exhausting their voice or their resources, focusing more on their needs and making them feel like the valued members of the community that they are, I think is is really a good challenge. And I think that's one of the things when the scarcity happens is that some of it is necessity to innovate and to kind of reprioritize. And I think we're seeing that right now. There's, you know, across the country, thousands and hundreds of thousands of teachers that are retiring and Mm -hmm. and not being backfilled. And so either it's going to leverage technology so that you have super teachers that are able to teach virtually a larger audience, but then the rest of the teachers are going to be coaches. I mean, it's it'll be an interesting thing if there's scarcity, but my hope is, is that it can inspire and value what they're doing and that they feel valued so that they want to stay and educate these kiddos. Yeah, absolutely. I like the the thinking about how, you know, in some ways you might need to let go of some of the old models to be able to embrace what's new and on the other side. My wife's a librarian. We haven't talked about libraries yet. I need to represent for that aspect uh, of my home and our listenership. Oh. Libraries frequently are the other place where students think about learning or where all of us think about learning. That's not a classroom, even though I realize there are other types of spaces and contexts. And then the digital revolution is hitting libraries in interesting ways where maybe you don't have as many books. Maybe you're thinking differently about how you integrate technology and other common goods into a central location. I know architects tend to gravitate to libraries as interesting spaces. So I'd love to hear a little bit of your perspective on the future of libraries. Sure. I think it is such a relevant space. Sometimes we think of libraries, we think of these quiet spaces with rows and rows of books, but that seems frozen in time. And I think not that it shouldn't be some of that, right? But I think the intention of libraries was spaces to gather to do research and a deeper delve into information. And whether that would be an individual or kind of a cohort, I think they're still doing that, but the medium and how they're doing it is what has changed. And so I think they are still very relevant. They are still very important, but technology has changed with that and the variety of spaces that are required within those spaces because of how they're learning and how they're collecting data and how they're collecting information. And so a lot of times we're seeing makers kind of spaces in the library where there's a digital interaction and then they're actually applying what they're learning into a project or a product. And, you know, they are very technology rich, but they also are still kind of a reverent space to a degree of quiet, 
more introverted learning. You know, again, kids, mm-hmm. there are kids that need that. And that is that has been a, a place of refuge, I know, for a lot of students for a lot of years. And so I think still providing that variety so that it, it kind of wears a lot of hats. And so as, as a librarian, I'd love to hear from her how she has seen it change kind of the actual boots on the ground. But it's morphing as technology is morphing, but it is still very relevant and ends up being the heart of the campus. And I think it's because it, it means so many different things to different people, but it is also this wonderful kind of knowledge hub. Yeah, it's interesting to think about the design of a library is a little bit different and it's more similar to the way digital products are designed. You're flexible enough to be able to tailor and personalize to any individual who might walk in, as -hmm. opposed to classrooms historically have been more about standardizing and giving the same treatment to everybody. What you're describing really, especially if you think about powered by artificial intelligence and new abilities to personalize, is that we should be able to reach folks who maybe didn't have the affordances, didn't have the curb cuts. You know, I I always come back to the idea of universal design for learning came from universal design, which is really architecture when you come right down to it. Should we be hopeful about the future of personalization and some of the ways in which these design principles aided by emerging technology I've heard folks talk about an IEP for everyone, whether you have a problem or not, everyone is able to be truly understood with some meaningful depth. Thoughts on where this might head? You know, this is something it's emerging for me and that I want to know more about. I think it's one of those things that once there becomes an influx or something, people start to pay attention. I think right now, more than ever, there's more acknowledged and, and accepted neurodiversities. And I think students are also coming to school with a lot more challenges and opportunities. And so that inevitably leads to innovation. But I think it's a good thing. And I think one of the things I'm kind of on my horizon is partnering with some you know medical groups and things like that to better understand how can the built environment support that mm-hmm. so that, to your point, For a student that's struggling with something, whether it be anxiety or dyslexia or autism or any anything, anything they're bringing, what are their trigger points? What are things that are hard for them and how can we combat that? But for the student that might not be identified as something, maybe it's hard on them, too, and they don't even realize it. And it's a betterment that can help help them learn. And I think the more that we know about this the more successful students will be and we will be even more intentional in our design and from the the textures that we put on surfaces to you know wayfinding and paths you know what gives kids you know stressors because they're coming to school with a lot and so anything we can do even small things lowering windowsill heights so they have a view and they can see out and feel connected to where they come from. Mm. Anything we can do to help them then also is taking one less stress off of them so they can be there to do what they're supposed to do, which is to focus on learning and and being together. And so I think that's something that I'm really excited about where it's going to go. And I, I want to know more. We were honored to start as a part of this and as a part of kind of looking towards the school of the future, like what is happening and what does that look like? We were honored to be one of the founding members of a nonprofit called LEARN. It's Learning Environments Action Research Network. Wow, and that's the, a good that's a good acronym. It actually spells good. LEARN. Yeah. I know. What's great is this is it's founded by a group of really diverse thought leaders, it's educators. We have technology and Google involved. We have architects. We have environmental groups, the Nature Conservancy, some of these founding members 
it all kind of united around what is this goal of the future? And it, what became evident is that we need to leverage research, you know, that's already out there in most cases and bring that, harness it, curate it, and then bring it to school districts. And so it's a open source, you know, website at golearntoday.org. But what's great about it is that it's taking things that are betterments, whether it be acoustics, whether it be textures, and it's not just built, it's also, you know, teacher-centric, it's everything education, but it's providing that research to districts so that they are armed with the information to make those decisions. I think school districts right now are also under a lot of attack across the country. And so giving them justification for the decisions they're making based on research and the application of research is an awesome opportunity. And so I think that's, you know, it's not AI, it's not so technology centered, but it's just using best practices to make what we believe is the right decision. And we'll include links to that in the show notes, but it's also giving people information without trying to sell them anything is another element to this where it does feel like, you know, you're almost overwhelmed by the amount of information. You know, I I went to ISTE, the technology conference in Philadelphia earlier this year, and it was just talk about a fire hose, you know, just the amount of just raw technology in your face. And it's like, I don't need that. It's the same thing where you were talking about designing for students, you know, like we're all a little bit overstimulated nowadays and, you know, trying to find adaptable environments, also giving more control to the end user, whether yeah. it is a teacher or a learner is is kind of a massive trend yes. related to usability too, where it's like, allow me the ability to configure and tweak settings so that I'm understood and it's really optimized for myself. I'm talking to Melissa Turnbaugh, who's a partner at PBK. She's a national education and innovation leader there. We're getting closer to time. I'd love to hear a little more from you on advice to folks who are charting their careers, whether it's in education or architecture. You've successfully navigated to this point. I'd love to hear from you a little bit on advice or suggestions for folks who are really trying to chart a career that's really mapping to the rate of change and where the world is heading? I think be open to learning and be open to kind of transformation because nothing right now is is as it has been. And I think with that, having a hunger for learning and being open to other ideas, the rate of change is rapid. And so being flexible, I think we are designing flexible environments, but we as people need to be flexible. And so I think that's, really exciting, but can be scary for some. And so I'd say, like, take opportunities to do that. I also think, especially in educational architecture, learning from groups that are outside of educational architecture. Mm -hmm. You know, I've learned a lot from the Nature Conservancy about the importance of getting kids outside. Schoolyards should not look the same across the country. Mm. I have learned from medical experts about, you know, best practices for the health of students and what that means. And so these groups that are not necessarily in our circle, technology, bring them in because I think we all have the same heart and passion, but then we can each bring different attributes to it. And so that would be my advice is do a lot of listening, do a lot of learning. And with that, you can think outside the box. That's what we're trying to do to help kids. And so leverage those passionate people outside of your normal circle and sphere of influence. Absolutely. It's funny because I talk to a lot of people with product design backgrounds. And I'm always struck by how much overlap there is between 
the way architects attack a problem and the way product people attack a problem. I think it might just be that an architect might have a slightly broader, in product, you're trying to be very narrow. Like what's very specific am I providing to someone right now where architecture seems to be embracing a little bit more big picture, you know, designing an an environment is a little bigger than designing a product. That's right. A big big audience that stands a very long test of time, I Mm -hmm. think. So with that comes some responsibility, but also some challenges. Yeah. And some vision, like you were saying before, I hadn't really thought about that, where you need to be able to design with some flexibility in mind as an architect, because if you overbuild for the here now, five, 10 years from now, you're going to be stuck in a bind where if instead you went a little more modular, flexible, it, it kind of leaves you open for the future. It's been a wonderful conversation, Melissa. We're we're wrapping up here. I always like to give guests uh, an opportunity for concluding thoughts as we wrap up here. Any takeaways, messages for our listeners as they head back to the rest of their lives? Oh, gosh. I would just say how grateful I am for the opportunity I have to work with school districts and all the challenges that they are are navigating. And I'll say if people that are listening are in that realm, just how appreciative I am of their hard work and all that they're having to do and navigate and Again, I'd love to learn from them because it'll make me hopefully more relevant and better architect, but it's more of a thank you and thank you for having me today, but just how appreciative I am of the hard work that is happening in public education. Awesome. Fantastic stuff here with Melissa Turnbaugh from PBK, National Education and Innovation Leader. Thanks so much for joining me today. My pleasure. And for our listeners, hopefully you enjoyed what you heard. If you did, Please subscribe, write us a review, tell your friends, do all the good things. We'll be back again soon. This is Trending in Education.